Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. You know, there's something else just popping into my mind and this is, this is just me being me, a thought that I had. You know, I haven't told you a Smith story in a while, and here's, here, but here's a, here's a Smith story. This, this is about me personally. My wife wanted to go see a movie. So we went to see the movie, and then as we're going to see the movie, we go, we go to the concession stand. Now, keep in mind, I'm, my wife and I, you know, we've, we've grown up, and, and we have truthfully embraced the fact that God wants us to prosper. We have no issue with that. But I found myself caught in a realm of, I wasn't so sure if I was being cheap. Now, listen, I went to, to, the, to the counter with Greta, and, and they had up there for a little bag of popcorn, $8. And so I was, I was struggling to, to drop the money on $8 worth of popcorn, because it didn't seem like $8 worth of popcorn to me. But, you know, my wife wanted some popcorn. She, you know, I'm the man. You know, so I'm gonna, we're gonna, we gonna get this popcorn. But inside of me, I had a struggle working. And so what do I do? I start looking at the prices of everything. Popcorn, more than a hot dog. Popcorn, more than cheese fries. Popcorn, more than the candy. Popcorn, almost only a few cents shorter than chicken strips. And I had to step back and I said, God, am, am, is there something wrong with me? And you know what I determined? It was nothing wrong with me. Now, we bought it and everything. And I understand supply and demand and that you are in the movie so they can sell you that if you're willing to buy that. But that just bothered me. And so I had a little angst about it the whole time I'm tearing that popcorn up. I would say, it is not worth it. It is not worth it. Every kernel that went through my teeth. <laughs> Sir, will you please put that victory lap slide up for me? Family, we're still in victory lap. And in Victory Lab, you know, we said that there were at least three attributes that we wanted to point out. The next slide will show you those attributes. We said Victory has a position, Victory has a mindset, and Victory has a sound. Now, for those first two attributes, we've already talked about those, and we're not going to do any summary of those today. If you, in fact, want to know what insights we received from those first two, guys, the audio is freely available online. You can go to YouTube, you can go to podcasts, whatever other options are out there. There may be others, but that's out there. Feel free to listen to those and get all of those insights. For now, we're going to move back into Victory Has a Sound. And keep in mind that when we're talking about Victory Has a Sound, there is an underlying idea that we've been working through. And that underlying idea is that we should never allow fear to hold us back from laying hold on our victory. Last week, we spoke about Esther. Esther, a young Jewish girl who became queen. 
Now, why do I call her young? I call her young because all of the research I've been able to do says that when she became queen to King Xerxes, she was a young teenager. And then when she had to deal with that evil plot that Haman put together to kill all Jews, by that time she was around 20. So a young, a young girl. Now, as far as this plot to kill all Jews goes, she didn't have any kind of authority to stop that. Not her personally. She had to go to the king. But she was afraid to go to the king. She was afraid to go to the king because there was a law in place. That law was pretty simple and pretty direct. It said, if you bring your behind in before the king and the king didn't invite you, the king could very well kill you. And she had not been invited to the king. The simple fact that she hadn't been in, that she had not been invited to the king, she had a very real fear that she had to deal with. And that fear kind of put her in a dilemma. What was that dilemma? It was concerning her people. Well, do I go before the king and risk dying myself or do I go ahead and succumb to my fears, keep silent and let my people die? I mean, here we have this girl because remember, she's young. This is a young girl being caught between a rock and a hard place. We continue going through the book of Esther, and we said, when you look at Esther's authority to stop the plan, she not only didn't have the authority, she was, she was new in her role, relatively new. And Haman had been promoted to the highest ranking governmental official in the land. She didn't have the authority to stop the plan. But you know what? Even though she didn't have the authority to stop the plan, she had something just as good, if not better. She had favor with the king. In other words, she had favor with the one who had the power to stop the plan. Let that rest on your mind and on your heart as a believer. Because we're coming back to that statement. She didn't have the authority personally to stop the plan. But thank God she had favor with the one who had the authority to stop the plan. She went before the king and her words that she spoke delivered her people. The only thing that could have stopped that girl's favor from working in her favor was for her to allow fear to keep her silent. Once again, the only thing that could allow her favor to not work in her favor was for her to allow her fear to keep her silent. Esther did not allow her fear to stop her, but how many times has our testimony been different? How often have we allowed fear to convince us to stand in the way of God's favor, working for our favor? It's a sad testimony, but it's very, very true. As a group of believers, we know that we have God living on the inside of us. As a matter of fact, we can spit out with a quickness that the favor of God surrounds us like a shield. 
We'll quote that thing in a minute. But you know what? It don't matter how much you know, and it don't matter how much you can quote when fear is in control. When fear is in control, what you know and what you can quote is powerless, is fruitless. Why? Recall we said fear does a very good job at working its tactic to get, a, get control of you. It works its way into your heart. And once fear gets in your heart, it controls your sounds. And by controlling your sounds, I mean it controls what you say out loud. It controls what you say to yourself. It controls how you speak to your situation. It controls even if you speak to your situation. And the very fact that it has such control, eventually, if you let that fear go unchecked, that fear will have full control over your life. Because remember, as go your sounds, so go all of you. There is a principle, though, family, that played out in Esther's life. And it's a, it's a principle that each and every one of us as believers need to hold on to. Here is this principle, because it's a piece of wisdom that's essential to all believers. And I want you to repeat this principle with me. Say this, I may not be, may not be able, to able to stop my enemy on my own, on my own. But, I but I am blessed to have favor, to have favor. With, the God who can. with the God who can. Isn't that a great principle? I mean, that's a principle that I should hold on to. That's a principle that you should hold on to. We don't deny, though, that sometimes it can feel like life has you up against the wall. Like life has you in a vice. Sometimes it can just feel like, well, life is just unpleasant sometimes. Not, every, not everything in life has you spinning around, jumping up and down like you in some kind of Hallmark movie. I know this time of year you can watch them and there's Christmas trees and snow everywhere, but that's not life all the time. At least it's not, not from my testimony. Let me put it that way. Life's not always pleasant. Situations and circumstances can be a bit much sometimes. People talking about you and plotting against you and saying things about you, that can be a bit excessive at times. Sometimes life can feel as if, is, is, is everybody against me? Is there a target on my back? Is it something that someone should let me in on? In spite of all that, though, as believers, we should never allow fear, concern, and worry to put us in a position to where we focus all of our attention on our own ability to overcome. We should always keep that principle from Esther in mind. That I may not be able to defeat my enemy on my own, but I am blessed to have favor with a God who can. All right, a little side note here. This is just, this is just some, just tell your neighbor, this is just a bonus. It's just a bonus, this is just a bonus. This is just a bonus. I, it's, it's such a bonus. I figured, I figured it, just, it just hit me. I just like, you know what? I just got to share. I'm just going to stick it in. 
The bonus is this. I was, I was reading. I try to read quite a bit of things just to help me minister better to you. And I read a piece of trivia, and that trivia was very interesting to me. Let me show you that trivia. This is very interesting. The trivia was this. Look at it. Look at it. It says, in the book of Esther, you do not find instances of the word God or Lord. Meaning as a, you know, a specific reference. God said, the Lord said, that kind of stuff. And I was like, huh, I don't believe it. So I researched it. And by researching it, I mean, I looked it up in the King James. I looked it up in the message. I looked it up in the NIV. And keep in mind, there are other versions out there, translations. I read one source that said there are over 200 translations of the Bible. So whether or not you go home after this and dig, a, dig up one and find up God, you might. I looked in three. But I didn't find any direct work reference. And that amazed me. It amazed me because in the book of Esther, if you really look at it, it's obviously about God's favor and his ability to deliver. But the simple fact that it did not address the words God or Lord specifically just burst the thought in my mind that I just felt I just I just got to share it with you. So just tell your neighbor, this is just a bonus. This is just a just a word bonus. Just, just it, it, that's all it is. That's all it is. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is this is what it came to me. Now, and it lines up perfectly with victory has a sound. Here's my thought. When speaking, or you know, when releasing sound, when speaking, every word out of your mouth does not have to be God. But every word from your mouth should be from God. Every word out of your mouth don't got to be God. Every time you talk to somebody, you ain't got to be spitting verse, scripture, chapter, and book. You don't have to do that. But if you live the word before them, if every action, if every word, if everything you do is from God, they will get the word. How many times have you, have you seen uh, uh, somebody trying to minister to a parent who's maybe their children are just not doing what you feel that they should be doing and you say the Bible say you should raise your children as they should go or train them up as they should go and you're spitting your word at them when all you should do is just take that parent out to dinner and love on them and then let the God through you work on their parenting such that their children will be trained up in the way that they should go. You don't have to talk God specifically, you just have to be God specifically. Just a bonus for you. Now, as we wrap up our discussion on Esther, I want to show you a scripture that's very familiar, very familiar to you, very familiar to all of us who've been in church in at the time. It's Isaiah, King James Version, 54, verse 17. This is probably one of the most quoted verses of scripture in, in, in Christendom. And you've, you, you might have even quoted this recently in some of your situations. You, you're already looking at it, aren't you? You might, have, you might have not have known where it was in the Bible, but doggone it, you said it before. Here's the scripture. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. 
Now, keep in mind, it's talking about those who are righteous before God, God's selected, chosen people. But when you look at the, the life of Esther and the events surrounding Esther, that scripture lines up perfectly. There was a weapon that had been formed against God's people. And God worked through Esther in such a way to where that weapon did not prosper. God condemned the very individual that was looking to have a weapon judge his people. It's, it's a perfect picture of that. Not only that, it's a perfect segue into where we're going. 1 Samuel chapter 16, to take a look at a young shepherd boy who refused to believe that there was any weapon stronger or mightier than his God. In 1 Samuel 16, we're going to be starting in verse 1 of the Message Bible. Just to do a quick lead in, in the chapter or two before that, God had told King Saul to do something through Samuel. And Saul didn't do it the way God wanted it done. And so after that, God was like, you know what? I'm just going to pick me another king. You were good for the time you were around, my man, but you know what? I can't be having this kind of disobedience. It just doesn't work for me. All that is my additive, of course. The bottom line is he decides, he tells Samuel, he said, listen, I want you to go. I've already picked out another king somewhere in Jesse's clan. I found my next king. And so here we go. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 and see how God has his eyes locked in on David as the new king. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, Message Bible. God addressed Samuel. So how long are you going to mope over Saul? You know I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your flask with anointing oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've spotted the very king I want among his sons. Samuel says, I can't do that, Samuel said. Saul will, will hear about it and kill me. God says, make sure Jesse gets invited. I'll let you know what to do next. I'll point out the one. Am I skipping? My wife said I'm skipping something. Go back to verse one for me. Right here? Let me make sure that I, I got my glasses on. So maybe something's wrong with my notes. Let me stand back here. Saul is talking, right? Sam, Samuel, not Samuel. If I've been saying Saul, I mean Samuel. Okay, I can't do that, Samuel said. Saul will hear about it and kill me. God said, oh, that does miss something. Take a heifer with you and announce. Go for me, please. I've come to lead you. I, I think I cut this out of my notes. I've come because I wanted to just cut it short. But I've come to lead you in worship of God with this heifer as a sacrifice. Make sure Jesse gets invited. I'll let you know what to do next. I'll point out the one you are to anoint. That better? Awesome. Now, here's, here's, here's what I want you to notice, though. Between verses 2 and 3. Go back up to verse 2 for me, please, sir. Samuel says, 
God, I can't do that. Saul will kill me. He points out fear. Go to verse 3. When you go down, it says, right here, make sure Jesse gets invited. God starts giving him instructions. He never even addresses the man fear. He says, God, I'm scared. God says, and make sure Jesse get invited. <laughs> now, I know I give a lot of parental, uh, parental examples, but this one will ring true to you as a parent. It's almost like you're in the kitchen cooking, and you suddenly remember or you notice you don't have a certain ingredient that you need. So you tell your child, go to the store for a minute and get some eggs. And they tell you, I don't want to go. Now, if you, once again, if you are a seasoned, seasoned parent, if you are a true card-toting member of the Don't Mess With Me Parent Society, if you are a true card-toting member of the I Will Mess You Up Club, if you don't get out of this house, you don't address that comment. You simply follow that up with something like, and why you there? Pick up some milk and some bread. Why? Because it's, it, it's not a matter of what you say you don't want to do. It's the instructions I'm giving you to, on what to do that should be your focus. That's God's sentiment here with Saul, with Samuel. I don't want to go. Saul's going to kill me. And why are you there? He's pointing to him the very same principle that we learned in Esther. I'm telling you to do something. And I don't want you to put your focus on your own ability to deal with your enemy. All you need to know is what I'm asking you to do and rest in the confidence that you have favor with a God that can deal with your enemy for you. Verse 4. Samuel did what God told him. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the town fathers greeted him, but, but apprehensively. Is there something wrong? Nothing wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and to lead you in the worship of God. Prepare yourselves, be con con consecrated, and join me in worship. These last words, I want you to notice because they're very important, and we're going to come back to them. Those last words read like this. He made sure Jesse and his sons were also consecrated and called to worship. Don't, don't forget those words. We're coming back to them. Verse 6. When he arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, here he is. God's anointed. He was a good looking boy. Looked like a king, you know. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. Now, so Samuel keeps going. He looks at son after son after son after son, and each time God says, nope, he's not the one. Nope, he's not it. He keeps doing that until he's gone through Jesse's seven sons that, that are there. Verse 10. Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. 
God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, Isn't, is this it? Are there any more sons? And pause right there. We pause right there because there is something very wrong with this picture. Go back to verse 5. The Bible says that Jesse presented his seven sons to, 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 to Samuel. But go back to the part to where he's asking him to, to prepare Jesse should send his boys. Try verse 6. Nope, go back again. Go back again. Go back. What's that? Verse 7? Verse 7. We got time. Nope. There's at the beginning. Let me go back in my notes. Hold on. Verse 3. Okay, he says, make sure Jesse gets invited, right? Then go to the end of verse 5. It should have something similar to say, he made sure Jesse and his sons were also consecrated and called to worship. Right there. Now, if he made sure that Jesse and his sons were consecrated and called to worship, David should have already been there. He should never have had to ask that question, if this, is this all your sons? The man should have already had David there. I believe this account of the Bible implies that David's father had no confidence in David to do anything of any real substance. I believe it's evident because if he had some kind of confidence in David's ability to do anything of real substance, he would have already had that boy there. Pick back up in verse 10. Jesse presented his sons, his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. But he's out tending the sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Yeah, you see, Jesse didn't have any confidence in David's ability to do much of anything, let alone become king. In fact, Jesse refers to David as the runt. Now, many translations, instead of using the word runt there, they say the youngest, but I like the word runt. Because the word runt, I believe, conveys the right sentiment of how that man thought about his son. He didn't even think enough about David to call him by his own name. Instead, he simply referred to his own son, David, as the runt. 
He didn't call the man by his own name, the boy by his own name, and he didn't have enough thought to even have him present there already. Called him the runt. Now let's kind of move ourselves into that position. How demoralizing it must be when the very ones that are closest to you and that should be your very greatest cheerleaders are not even on your side. How demoralizing it must be when the ones who are closest to you and should be your biggest cheerleaders don't even support you. You may find yourself in the position just like that sometime in your life if you have not already. David's father called him the runt, an indication that he had no confidence in what that boy was all about or what that boy could even do. Sometimes God will place you in the right place at the right time. And he'll select you because you have the right heart. He'll select you because you have a victory mindset. He'll have select you because you have a victory mentality. And yet the very people that he's called you to minister to and or save or to provide for cannot even see the God in you. The very people that he's called you to save, to be there for, they don't see the God in you. Now they see your shortcomings but they don't see the God in you that makes up the difference. They see your lack, but they don't see the God in you that makes up the difference. Look at this. They see your faults, but they don't see the God in you that makes up the difference. They even see all your insufficiencies, but they can't see the God in you that makes up the difference. They see everything about you that should allow you to be a person who loses, but they don't see the God in you who makes you a winner. And with every fiber of your being, you feel rejected. Why? Because the very people who should be your biggest cheerleaders, the very people who should be your greatest supporters, they don't appreciate you at all. In spite of how you feel, though, you should take heart to know that regardless of what they see, God still favors you. Regardless of what they see in you, God still chooses you. Everyone around you may view you as a loser. But you know what we, what we say to that. It's a good thing that my God specializes in sending a winner in loser's clothing. Fortunately for the children of Israel, oh, God is called for the run. He's called for the one less likely. He's called for the one that they didn't even want to have there present to begin with, but he's called for him. Why? Because there's something special about it. Verse 10 again, 1 Samuel, 6, Samuel 16. Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? 
Are there no more sons? Well, there's the runt. But he's out tending sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in. The very picture of health, bright eyed, good looking. God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. God says, give me that young man right there. The young man that nobody else wants. The young man that some say is a loser. Give me that person because I see him with the heart, the same heart as mine. I see a winner in him. Give me that. The loser right there. That's who I want. Family, the children of Israel don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. But someday soon, they will all be celebrating in the streets the fact that God chose the runt. They don't know it yet. But they will be celebrating in the street real soon the fact that God chose the one less likely. They'll be happy that God called and chose this so-called runt because this runt will have the confidence to speak in the face of a fear that has everyone else paralyzed that God sent me to declare victory. Likewise with you. You may have critics that disapprove of the path that God has you on. You might have critics that say you are less, less like, least likely. In effect, you might have critics that call you the runt. That call you a loser that says God cannot be doing with you what you say God is doing with you. But don't you worry about that. You keep going forward in God. You keep obeying what God has for you to do. You keep holding on to the principle that it don't matter what my adversaries look like. It don't matter how big they are. It don't matter how strong they are because I serve a God who gives me favor. And with his favor, I know through him I can conquer anything. You keep moving forward in God. Because someday. Some of those very same critics. Are going to be shouting in the street and celebrating the fact that God chose you. Amen. We'll pick up there next time. Let's pray. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.